We've all heard this, but I can tell you this will never change. No matter what happens with technology, if a parent can keep internet-enabled technology out of the bedroom, that's going to repay their kids and their family a thousand times over for the rest of their life. We teach our kids that the internet is an open environment, it is public and it is permanent. No, it's not they think, it's private. By default, they do. That's how the screen interacts with the person. They will think like when I send a message, that's the only person who's ever going to see it because that's what I think. That's what I imagine. That's what it looks like. Speak to us, please, about how private can the internet be. I'm looking at you right here and now and you're suggesting, Bernie, don't kid yourself, there is no privacy on the internet. Absolutely. What parents need to know is that when you put rules and boundaries in place with your kids and technology, they're not technology rules, they're real rules, and they are giving your children and they are giving you as much benefit and they're repaying you as much as the rules and boundaries in the physical world. Love it. They have to exist. Love it. And it's not so being anti-technology, it's helping our children manage that world. In the context of this podcast, to me it's actually a display of love for our children. Exactly. Hey, you've just joined A Journey with Bernie. Greetings, my dear friends, and thank you so much for joining me and today's wonderful guest. My name is Bernie Kelly, and I'm your very enthusiastic show host. Why? Because I woke up this morning, and I don't know about you, but I'm still breathing. I've been expressing my joy for life as a corporate leadership and team building coach for 30 years now. But I've also loved working in the schools, guiding students and our young ones, just to open up their eyes to see more, to do more, to be more. I'm an explorer who wants to take you and them to the summit of Kilimanjaro. Hey, how about the base of Mount Everest? or the intrigue of the Peruvian Machu Picchu, or that epic spiritual adventure across northern Spain, the Camino. Yes, I'm a lover of nature, and I am a consumer of life, and that's why this podcast exists. You see, it's a simple exploration of what you and I need to do to find greater love for self, to inspire our own sustainable inner happiness, and to discover greater meaning in our humble lives. Of course, I don't have the answers, but that's why each week you and I will explore the life purpose and the perspectives and paradigms of our wonderful podcast guests who will share with us their strategies, their thoughts, their actions that just might bring greater meaning to our lives. Hey, we're all on this journey, folks. So today, let's together put on our hat of curiosity and explore life's possibilities. And let's do it together on this episode of A Journey with Bernie. Oh, dear folks, welcome to another journey with Bernie. It's so great to have you here. Hey, I uh, I looked up the transistor statistics the other day. Now, the transistor is the platform that actually distributes this podcast out to you, the listener. And guess what? We're approaching the 2000 mark. So I'm so grateful for all of the people that are out there choosing to tune in to the episodes of A Journey with Bernie. It's all about 
How do we find greater love in our lives, folks? How do we find greater happiness in our, in our existence and more meaning in our uh, humble encounter here on planet Earth? And this morning's guest, I'm already wowed by the prospect because I'd love you to meet Brett Lee. Now, I know some of you are getting excited because you think he's that uh, opening bowler of test cricket <laughs> that came off about 25 metres and bowled 150 kilometres per hour. No, but this Brett Lee has so much to offer because for 22 years he worked. Brett, was it the Queensland Police Force? Yes, the Queensland Police. And you were a detective? For the vast majority of that time, I was a detective. Do you mind me asking, please, uh, what does detective work look like for 22 years in the Queensland Police Force back then? Well, you know, detectives, we hear that term quite often, but, uh, you know, you're trained to investigate serious crimes, so you're really an investigator. So, And then after that, Brett Lee then was, uh, were you seconded to work in Iraq? No, actually, I, I left the police because I thought there was uh, there was another calling for me outside the police, and uh, I worked as a private contractor as a police instructor at the Iraq National Police Academy. You got to tell us what was the role in Iraq? What was your job in Iraq? What what specifically were you asked to do? Well, look, I was uh, a trainer. So I would train men from Iraq how to be police officers. Uh, Iraq had never had a civilian police force before. It was more paramilitary. Um, So I worked for a company that was tasked with the job to train Iraqi men how to be police officers. And I do say men. There wasn't one woman that came through our academy. Well, I can only imagine. How long was that experience? Look, I I flew in and out for about eight months. So we'd do a six-month stint uh, training. And then we'd come out for a four-week break and then, uh, then we'd go back in and, and continue with another group, new group of uh, uh, recruits. My instinct says that would have been a profound eight months of what learning <laughs> your education to them. But I can't imagine what you learned from the Iraqi people and the environment that you were working in. Look, it was a surreal experience and it, it just opened up my mind. I was never in the military and I'd, I'd never been uh, in a community such as that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it really got me thinking and, and I could see that, uh, you know, some of the happiest people I ever met mm-hmm. were the locals there and the vast majority of Iraqis that I interacted with, they were, you know, they wanted their family to be safe and happy. They wanted opportunities. Yeah. They wanted to travel. Yeah. They wanted to learn. Um, and it just really opened my mind up. Yeah, you know, mm. I had a lot of, uh, you know, preconceived ideas about mm. uh, the community there. Mm. And I worked out that I got them from the media. Yeah. You know, thinking that, Jeez. oh, everything's bad in Iraq. But uh, it was an amazing country. It was, like I said, very surreal. Isn't that a great discussion point about how we are conditioned by media? But maybe we might leave that till later on in the in the podcast. I hope it comes up because I think there's a lot of value in in learning about the the conditioning from forces outside of our outside of ourselves. The interesting part, Brett, is about what you do now, and and for those who are listening to this podcast. I first met Brett Lee. Brett, we're going back 10, a dozen years ago, perhaps even longer. Yes, yes. Well, I've been going into schools now for 14 years. Tell the listener, please, what your role is when you go into the schools. Well, for the last 14 years, we were probably one of the first in Australia to do it. I identified a need. Now, I identified that need because uh, 
in the police for my last five years, I was an undercover detective on the internet. So it was my job to assume the fictitious identities of children mm. to locate, identify and arrest child sex offenders who are using the wonderful uh, environment of the uh, internet to uh, take advantage of others. So and when I was in the police, I sort of thought, you know, I, I feel like I'm doing good work. I'm removing these uh, criminals from the from the internet. But then I thought, you know, we can't arrest our way out of this problem, and that's a very common term now. Uh, we have to educate the user, not only the child, but also the people who are there to support and guide them and, and you know, mm, protect them. Mm. And uh, I identified that need, and there wasn't much in Australia in, in relation to that about 14, 15 years ago. So when I was finished my um, holiday over in Iraq, uh, <laughs> yes, and I say that as a joke, um, I put together a program, everything that I'd learned, that I'd seen that I thought that the community needed to know. So they're in a position to make a good choice mm. online. And quite often the best choice online is not what you do, it's what you choose not to do. Yeah. So giving them a reason to know why there's choices I don't make online, I'm actually mm. getting benefit of, for this. So started going into schools, just sent an email out, developed a PowerPoint. Uh, it was very raw back in those days. And uh, how I really, you know, thought that this would be of value when I was in the police out you know, I was asked if I could go into a school and do a cyber safety presentation. So we went to an all-girls school in Brisbane, spoke to the uh, teenage ladies, and I was just telling them some of the investigations we had, uh, you know, in a very sanitised way, of course, and they were shocked. Mm. And I thought, they don't even know these people exist online. Yeah. They're interacting online yeah. thinking they know who they're talking to. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, something needs, something needs to be done here. So it was a good time for reflection in Iraq, and when mm. I got back, that's when I started going into schools, and it's really just exploded since mm. then. Brett, I, I regard you as a pioneer in this area because um, in, in, in our connection over, I'm making it up, 10, 12 or 14 years, whatever it was that long ago, I remember when you started to first come into the school environment and uh, th I can't remember you having too many competitors out there. Um, you really were uh, launching a very valuable need for our children, valuable need also for parents because a lot of the schools then started to recognise that what you offered the children, the parents needed to hear about it because they too were just as ignorant. True? Exactly. I mean, look, some of the dangers that confront our children online aren't new. They're real world dangers. And we've always known in our society that to protect and guide and educate a child, it takes a number of different stakeholders. Mm. Like that, uh, that that term, it takes a village. Mm. Um, so the schools recognise that very quickly, that parents need to be part of this process. They need to be part of the process, not to stop kids using technology, but to create an environment where a child can get all the great things mm. and reduce the risk, mm. just like in the physical world. Mm. So, for example, last week, tell us about last week, tell us about this week. Uh, what's your commitments to uh, the, the, the school system, uh, education system? How did you spend last week? How are you spending this week? Look, last week uh, I went to a, a great school community down in um, New South Wales that I believe is a good friend of yours, Bernie, um, Hunter Valley Grammar School and uh, some schools up in Brisbane and uh, quite a few presentations in the school, both primary and secondary. This week's a big one. I'm travelling west and heading out to uh, Miles and uh, Chinchilla Wow! and educating communities out there, but also a school in Brisbane. So it's a very busy week. How many week. schools will you see this week, Brett? Um, I'll actually go to three schools, yeah. but I'll end up doing 
doing 17 presentations. Wow. So you, there's, a, there's presentations to parents, presentations to teachers. I'm doing the whole gambit wow. this week. I'm doing students from prep yeah. up to year 12. And then I'm doing um, parents and staff as well. I can't imagine. What are you? What, <laughs> how do you present to preppies? I always say they're the toughest audience. You know, sometimes <laughs> they're crawling on my. Um, sometimes they're crawling on my shoe. I'm, I'm not used to my audience picking their nose, but um, you know, I just want to get them used to hearing an adult talk about that online world. And, Amazing. You know, when I speak to parents, I say, look. It's not about being an internet expert. It's about having open communications yeah. with your children. And yeah. if a parent goes, well, it can't be that easy. I said, look, there's a few other little things, but I said, that's 90% of it. And, um, and if they're still not convinced, I say, do you know every child sex offender I talk to on the internet, the very first question they asked, do you talk to your parents about what you do on the internet? Mm. And if I said yes, they're gone. Yeah. But of course, I didn't say yes, but they, they are not going to target me if they think a responsible adult is close. Is it appropriate for me to ask how many sex offenders have you charged? Uh, have you look just just from the internet? Yeah. Um, it's around ninety. Wow. Um, but I've been involved in many others as wow. well, and there's yeah. police who've arrested a lot more than me. Yeah, sure. I think the message to get out of that is these people are real. Yeah. And they're always going to be part of the online world, but it mm. shouldn't it shouldn't horrify us as a parent. Mm. They're the same people who walk around in the community, mm. but we don't lock our kids up at home. Mm. We educate them to be part of that community. The internet's mm. the same. We play a role. We educate our kids, mm. and we reduce risk incredibly mm. when we just uh, play that very simple role. I mean, a child just can't be offended against on the internet. Sure. Things need to exist yeah. for that to happen. Mm. So we teach our kids, you know, simple strategies to uh, remove themselves as a possible target. Right at the start of this podcast, I did announce my excitement. <laughs> and here we are. You're always <laughs> excited, Ben. <laughs> but we're talking about a fairly dark side yeah. of, of life. Yeah. 22 years as a detective in the, in the police force, that potent eight-month experience in Iraq, and now how many years, Brett, doing these presentations to particularly the school environment? 14 years? Yeah, 14 years. 14 yes. years. This is, a, this is a world of experiences that allows you not only to see the darkness of our communities, but also to see what is missing. And so I'm, I'm going to be very, very interested to investigate with you how, what is missing in terms of creating greater love, nurture, and connection that might have eroded or diluted some of this darkness. This is one of the reasons why I was, I was very, very keen to, to get you in here. Let's go mm. back to those 22 years mm. as a detective. Can you give us, without mentioning names, but just give us an example of what a, a detective case looked like? <laughs> Yeah. In your life yeah. as a 22 years look, of de detective work. Uh, look, doing physical world investigations was different to the internet uh, in this way mainly. Uh, we would turn up after the crime had been committed. So we would, uh, you know, we, we'd do the investigation, we'd uh, get statements, we'd, we'd interview the person after the offence. And I knew that they were telling me what best suited them at the time. So we never really got to see the inside you know, of, of their, you know, of their mind and what they were thinking sure. at the time. Yeah. And, you know, it was quite easy to disassociate myself yeah. from that crime because we got there afterwards. 
So we would take statements and sometimes that could be upsetting or, or you know, um, uh, it, it could be quite, um, you know, not a good process. Upsetting for you? Uh, upsetting for me and, of course, uh, the complainants, the people mm. who'd been offended against. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, that, that's where the emotion side of it was, I suppose. Mm. But apart from that, I didn't really think about it much. It was my job to gather evidence and put it into a format where it's mm. going to be admissible in a court of law, put that person before the court mm. to be judged by their peers, the mm. judge and jury. And that was sort of the process that you would go through. And I think over those years, I became quite desensitised to that mm. process. Did you ever feel any empathy for any of the bad guys? Did you ever arrest a bad guy and have a discussion with a bad guy and you thought, oh, I can actually empathise with you, I can actually connect with you as a human being, you've done some really bad stuff here, but you know what, is there, is there a case that comes to mind where you had that empathy? I felt empathy for who he was, yeah. not what he did. Yeah, sure. Um, whereby he was what uh, I call and police call a boy lover. Wow. So it's an adult man whose sexual preference yeah. is a teenage boy or younger. Yeah. Now, off the record, he said to me, look, I, I hate myself. I wish I wasn't like this. He said, but my sexual preference is teenage boys, yeah. um, young boys. He said, I've always been like that, even when I was a teenager. Wow. He said, I was sexually attracted to prepubescent boys. He said, that's just who I am. Did you ever get any feeling that that he was born that way or that he had a an experience um, in, in his life that led him to that perspective? Look, he didn't uh, acknowledge to me that he'd been the victim of that as he was growing up. Mm. I was sort of led to believe, and I've got nothing to back this up, that mm. And he believed this. It was how he was born. It's how his brain was wired. Mm. And he actually said to me, it's like you saying to me, it's like me saying to you, don't find adult women attractive. Mm. Find um, little boys attractive. Mm. He said, you can't do it. Mm. He said, but I'm the opposite. Wow. He said, I wish I wasn't like this. Yeah. And he said, I hate myself. He said, yeah. I always have. Um, and You've accepted that as his normality? Do you know what, Bernie? I did. Yeah. Um, I was very cynical as a police officer. Yeah. And I know that I'm going to be told anything yeah. that's going to suit them. Yeah. I, I, I honestly know that. Yeah. They just want to mitigate what they've done, yeah. mainly so they don't look as bad yeah. in the eyes of other people, yeah. um, but also so it might mitigate their sentence yeah. when they, you know, they plead their case, their, their defence pleads their case. But um, I believe this guy yeah. and he's probably the one who was, and he was the one that initiated this very candid conversation with me. Mm. Um, so that's what made me believe it, and what he said was, he, he, he was virtually saying to you that what he didn't know how to do was to manage yeah. his preference. Exactly. Yeah. He didn't know how to manage it in a legal sense. Right. So he said that he would just engage with um, uh, child exploitation material, yeah. being um, pictures and videos, and that's how he would try and manage it. But, yeah. uh, you know, I... You know, and, and some people say, well, it's only pictures and videos. But mm. I say, yes, do you know what's depicted in those pictures and videos? Children mm. being abused. Mm. So for those pictures and videos to be created, children have to be abused. So mm. when you seek to get mm. access to them, you pay for them, you go mm. onto websites, you're promoting the abuse of children. So, mm. you know, it, it's still- it's, why it's, it, it's an abhorrent. Yeah. Oh, it's an a, absolutely yeah. abhorrent offence. And it, yeah. it is illegal. It always has been, even before the internet was invented. Um, so- 
yeah, that's uh, so it is no excuse, of course. And that's why I said I didn't really empathise with what he did yeah. and he needed to be put before the system. He was a danger to our community. That's what I believe. Um, but I empathised with how he said he was feeling and who he was as a person. Yeah, yeah. Um, And some people say, oh, you believe him, but uh, you know what? I believe probably 0.1% yeah. uh, in a pure form yeah. as to what I was told. You had reason to believe this man. Yeah. 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 Are you able to elaborate on what made you believe this man? Look, probably the, uh, the fact that he didn't have to tell me. Yeah. The fact that he wanted it off the record. Yeah. He didn't say it in an interview, yeah. and you know what sort of uh, sort of compounded that was the uh, the the fact that shortly after this, before we got a chance to interview him, he actually took his own life. Wow. So wow. that sort of just makes me, you know, believe that he was he was true in what he was saying. So you know, it's a very unfortunate outcome. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, talking about the the empathy, I, I suppose empathy there. Some people don't understand that. Yeah, but, uh, being involved in it, you're dealing with human beings. So, mm. but that that's quite rare. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose the question then becomes: How could hmm, society or community have not served? his behaviour, not served his want, but taught him how to manage his his own innate, possibly even genetic, maybe environmentally inspired, who knows. But how could we have taught him to manage that better? Do you have any thoughts on that? That's a really good question, Bernie, and it's uh, obviously something I would never consider at the time. Yeah. Um, look, I, I certainly don't have a medical background, yeah. uh, so I, I can't comment with any authority there. Yeah. But uh, from what I've seen about the world, um, having spent a few years here now, is uh, I really think through education. Mm. Um, that's what I believe the key is, and one of the one of nearly the only things outside of, uh, you know, what our community puts in place to regulate people, whereby we can give people a reason to make sound choices. Mm. If you're, if you're asking, do I have any ideas how we could have made sure that, uh, he didn't find young boys attractive. There's there's absolutely no comment I can make on that, but, uh, look, maybe to, see, he got to a stage in his life where he was that old and, um, he was a lot older than me. Yeah. He was a man who, in many areas of our society, would have been retired. Yeah. And it was a shame that it got to that stage yeah. where it wasn't identified, where he wasn't able to speak to people about it, yeah. where he kept it hidden, um, where he had to deal with that burden himself. Yeah. I maybe think through education, um, maybe he, he could have gleaned something from that that gave him mm. a reason or suggestions on how to manage it, mm. maybe support when it came to uh, talking to people, mm. being part of uh, groups where it's been identified that, hey, this issue does exist. Um, mm. Look, that, and he was quite an intelligent man. He was very, very well educated. Mm. Um, but this is fascinating. Mm. You, you know, th- there are plenty of books out there. That, that I think there's plenty of material out there that actually can teach a man, as an yeah. example only, on how to manage his taste 
for women. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know of a wonderful book by David Dida, D-E-I-D-A, mm-hmm. 20, 24, 25 years ago. I think it was a New York bestseller called The Way of the Superior Man. I don't think it's a title that David would get away with today. <laughs> <laughs> but what he was actually, the, the actual title yeah. was about the pathway, the spiritual pathway of a man becoming a man and being able to manage himself. Mm -hmm. And even though he might find a particular woman very, very attractive and, and, and even have thoughts about what he would like to share with that woman, how he managed himself was the key. And the book alluded to such management strategies. Yeah. So there is material and books available that can teach a man to manage his thirst. Yeah. But I'm wondering now, I'm not quite sure about the material that's available to teach that man that you were talking about on how to manage, Mm. particularly if, is there the possibility there was a sense of normality (laughs) about the way he saw his sexual preference, you know, and I'm not, you, everyone knows here I'm not endorsing it one single bit. Yeah. You're not endorsing it. But the management of it is is interesting mm. because it would appear to me that could create a, a, um, a state um, in which people can survive, yeah. exist, find themselves, but it's got to, they've got to know how to manage it. Yeah. You know? Look, I, I think the internet can be detrimental in that sense. In that, uh, I believe well, a lot of the uh, yeah. the criminals I arrested um, to I'll, I'll use this term to live with themselves. Yeah. They needed to normalise it. Yeah. Um, if they didn't, they yeah. would consider themselves the monster. Yeah. So I saw this on the internet where people with these predisposed uh, attractions would yeah. come together yeah. and normalize it with each other. Yeah. Hey, there's nothing wrong with you. You're, yeah. you. This is how God made you. It's okay to love um, children. We don't hurt them. They would never say they hurt children or they abused them. They would say they loved children. Mm. We're, you know, we're not harming children. Mm. We love children. Mm. So a big part of that, and I saw that on the internet, and that's mm. one thing the internet did. It brought these people together with similar mindsets that never would have had the opportunity to come together wow, prior this to is the internet. Yeah. And it, uh, like it did, it empowered them. Mm. They saw that they were, uh, uh, you know, there were others like me. Mm. I'm not on my own. Mm. Um, and it did normalise it. Mm. So in a lot of ways, I think the internet was detrimental mm. and to our, to our community yeah. in general, particularly yeah. young people, because yeah. there were people who were now being empowered mm. um, in relation to what they were doing. Mm. Uh, so look, with the, we you're mentioning the books, yeah. and um, it, it obviously goes to show, like when that book was written 25 years ago, it probably yeah. didn't take into account the internet that much. It's about that's people, right. and that's, that's what right. it's about today. Yeah. And yeah. look, I, I, I think education is the key. I, th- I think that w- one thing that we've probably identified now when it comes to this, you know, my attraction to certain people and, yeah. you know, some of the thoughts that go in, on in my head that isn't consistent with what the community expects, I think we've acknowledged that that education needs to start early. Yeah when the brain's developing. Yeah. So, you know, the brain isn't fully developed and it's created all its beliefs and its mindsets yeah. and it, 
and then and then we try and change it. Then mm. we try and educate people. Yeah. So I think really getting involved in it early. Yeah. Um, passing on the, the positive messages. Like, uh, you know, there was a series of ads on television that I thought was fantastic where, you know, there's a young boy who's throwing the, the ball at the fence right next yeah, to his sister yeah, and she says, yeah. stop. And, you know, he just keeps throwing it. And uh, his dad sort of automatically says, oh, he's just mucking around. But the mum says, well, no, that's not all right. Mm. And then at the end they show the dad sitting there and talking to the young man. Mm. I believe these are, you know, these real-world analogies, these uh, real, this, these real-world um, situations where we can use it as a learning moment, yeah. but obviously formalising it in school as mm. well. Yeah. And I've seen a change in schools. I know we can do this. Whatever the topic is, I've seen a change in how young people use technology now than they did 14 years ago. And it's not because the human brain's changed or our expectations as a community. It's because of the education. Yeah. And it's about what's being put in place yeah. to help kids understand the nature of that world. And if they don't hear that from us, they're not going to hear it from anybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's let's come to your, your current job or mm. your current role, this magnificent role that you play mm. in, in education. And let me simply ask, parents out there listening to this, if you really have love for your child and there is no questioning that you do or you don't. <laughs> Absolutely. But in terms of displaying that love, and now I think we're now we're talking about a protective love. Yeah. What do they need to do? in order to protect their child from these sinister forces that are out there and that a child can find on the net? I can't believe you asked me such a simple question. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the first thing for a parent to empower them to make some what's going to be tough decisions yeah. is to understand the dangers are real. They're as real as what our children face in the real in the physical world, whether it's our predatory behaviour, mm. whether it's inappropriate language, inappropriate content, whether it's bullying. We don't have to address each of those issues. There's five things that we put in place that's going to reduce risk right down low, right down low, reduce risk by 99% from when our kids are four to 18, yeah. and we never move away from these five principles. We don't have to do them all the time. We don't have to do all of them every day. Yeah. There's one of them. If you can do this, you'll reduce risk by 90%. Share it with us, Five messages. Now. One, we teach our kids that the internet is an open environment. It is public and it is permanent. Now, People make, stop there, please, yep. Brett. Stop yep. there, please, Brett. No, it's not they think. It's private. By default, they do. That's how the screen interacts with the person. They will think like when I send a message, that's the only person who's ever going to see it because that's what I think. That's what I imagine. That's what it looks like. Speak to us, please, about how private can the internet be? Or are you, I'm looking at you right here and now and you're suggesting, Bernie, don't kid yourself, there is no privacy on the internet. Absolutely. Say that one more time. The, there is no such thing as privacy as it relates to technology. Do you realise that people listening to this, this is going to challenge so many of their real beliefs and challenge some of their own action and behaviour that they display on the internet with loved ones, with granny, with their children. And you're saying there is no privacy and you're saying that adamantly. It is incredibly important 
for young people and adults to believe that every choice I make, am I prepared for the whole world to see it? That's what people need to believe. I can. I arrested a child sex offender and he's sitting in the police station and he learnt these things firsthand. That was the first day he'd considered these things and he saw that we had a copy of all of his conversations because the internet's permanent and he was horrified. He did not know what to say and he looked at that that all the conversations he'd been having on the internet. And I said, well, have you got anything to say about this? And he said, this is an outrage. He said, I feel violated. He said, that was supposed to be private. (laughs) And I said, yes, I know it was supposed to be private, but it's not. It's public. And now you have to face the consequences. There is case law in Australia where a court has ruled that it is common knowledge, which means it doesn't need to be proven, that when someone uses technology, they do so in a public environment and they can be um, judged as such. The internet loves throwing the word privacy around, privacy Mm. settings, private groups, private messaging programs. They want you to believe that so you will make more choices than you normally would. Mm. More choices, more eyeballs on screens, more Mm. eyeballs on screens, more advertising space. Mm. The internet is public. And it is dangerous for our children to think that it's up to them to decide who's going to see what they're doing on the internet. So first of all, what I'm hearing here is adults, parents, you know, you should know that the internet, there is no such thing as privacy. There there is not. Now, I love what you just said, Bernie, uh, just shortly ago about what if I want to have a conversation with a family member? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And of course, we put things in place to, to make it make us feel it's as private as possible. So we may use a private messaging program, maybe like WhatsApp or text messages or phone calls, very secure. But at the end of the day, when I send or post something, I can't stop the other person showing someone else or I can't stop the billions of, you know, things that could possibly happen that could make it private. Like what? Things, um, you know, I put my, this happened. We had a child sex offender. His computer stopped working. Mm -hmm. So he put it into a computer store to get fixed. As they were fixing it, they found illegal material. They rang us and said, we're not touching this computer. It's got illegal material. He never, ever would have imagined in his wildest dreams. He couldn't have conceptualized uh, that, oh, someone other than the person I imagine is going to see it. But you know what? I think a lot of the content on the internet is it doesn't really matter if other people see it. Mm. And if people don't have a reason to try and get it, they generally never get it. So I have a conversation with my kids online, but I still don't put anything in there that if it got out, that it's going to have an effect on me or my family or my work or my business or my bank balance. But you are aware when you're even having a conversation with your children that you cannot afford to even think that this conversation is private. You are fully aware. What I'm alluding to here is I'm just wondering how many people out there don't think that way. They don't see the world that way. And this is your rule number one. It's rule number one. And do you know what? It is the grand illusion. It's the master trick that the internet's played on people. I I had a young man in year nine say to me last week, he said, oh yeah, but if I send something in Snapchat, which is a you know micro social media program that's very popular with young people. If someone at the other end takes a copy of what I just sent, it sends me a notification saying they've sent it. And I said, yeah, what's your point? So you know they've got a copy, but they've still got a copy. Yeah. Oh, well, they shouldn't share it with anyone. Yeah, I know they shouldn't, but what if they do? Yeah. How's that going to affect you? Yeah. So we don't want it. We don't want our kids to think they're in a private environment. That's where the bad things happen. Mm. 
online. How many people are actually in a relationship or a connection? They've got a strong connection. They're sharing stuff left, right, and center. Yeah. And then they actually, because they're in that moment, the sharing is very appropriate because there's feelings here and there's love there and there's connection here. And mm. however, one year later, six months later, 20 years later, 25 years later, yeah. that relationship is is not happening. Yeah. And then that's where one person can utilize the material that's been, yeah. that's been shared. And it can destroy lives. And, you know, Bernie, we, we see this almost every day of the week in the media mm. where a sports star, an entertainer, someone who's prominent in our community, a politician, mm. somebody who they have trusted and distributed information to mm. for whatever reason, for money, all yeah. like revenge, yeah. and it's called image-based abuse actually, um, can so, use that against it. We see it every day of the week where people's careers are destroyed, yeah. where people's families face issues yeah. because someone got a copy of what they were doing online and they thought it was private. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Hey, so let me just summarize. This is a a, a terrific um, learning. Right? Mm. But what you're saying is, if you love yourself, <laughs> <laughs> and you love your loved ones, yeah, then be aware personally. Nothing on the net is private, and if Correct. you love your little ones, make sure they understand fully that. The net is never private. Exactly. And that's your Public. number one. Number one. I can't wait for two, three, four, and five, mate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll just say one other thing in relation to that. I can go into any school in Australia and um, they will say we've had an issue at the school with students and technology because kids are kids. Yeah. You know, it's not because they're bad people. They're human. Um, and I can say to them, where did that occur online? And do you know what they always say? Or do you know where it never occurs? On the school network. Yeah. And do you know what never, the issues never occur on school network? It's because the kids know the man in the IT office can see everything they're doing. So when they know that they're going to be accountable, that there's, a, there's, uh, there's someone there, it gives them a reason to make a good choice. And that protects the listener's children. If you're a listener and you've got kids, that's protecting your kids at yeah, school. That's yeah. the safest place you're ever going to be online because other kids know that if they treat your son or daughter the wrong way, that a person in authority is going to see it. The issues happen on personal devices with their own data plan. Mm. They happen in private. Yeah. Yes. So to mums and dads, what are you now saying to them, Brett? What, they, 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 they build an environment at home in which they can freely check their, their, their kids' online behaviours? Look, ideally, yes. Yeah. And we don't do that to say we don't trust our kids. Yeah. Um, we do that to say we don't trust the nature of the world we live in. Yeah. And us as a parent need to feel comfortable that everything's going okay. Wow. And we're not doing it to stop them using technology. We're yeah. making sure they can use it. Yeah. And that's why schools use it. Yeah. And that they're, you know, getting the good stuff. Mm. So creating that culture, you know, yeah. we've all heard this, but I can tell you this will never change. Mm. No matter what happens with technology, mm. if a parent can keep internet-enabled technology out of the bedroom, that's going to repay their kids and their family a thousand times over for the rest of their life. When That's where the majority of bad things happen. When you say the bedroom, you're not talking about the parents' bedroom, probably you are, but you're also talking, 
Parents, make sure it doesn't go into the children's bedroom. The iPhone, the iPad, the laptop stays outside of the bedroom. Anything internet enabled. Wow. Now, as our kids get older, they become teenagers, they'll be more independent, they'll be more peer-driven, they will want to be trusted, make their own decisions. We implement the messages differently. Maybe because every family and every child and every need for technology is different. Maybe we're comfortable. Mm. They've shown they can be trusted. Mm. They, you know, they're still going to school. Their grades are good. They're happy. They're healthy. They're sleeping well at night. They play sport. They've got a good group of mates. Maybe they can use technology in their bedroom. Mm. But I would say even then, have that rule at bedtime. Mm. Every internet device comes out, goes back in in the morning. Should the parents lead that? Should the parents model that? That you is know keep what? their phones outside look, of the, I'm outside say, the bedroom? Look, Bernie, the, or, the best thing is to always lead by example. Um, monkey see, monkey do. But I say this to parents. Your role in the family is different to your kids. Your kids may have a bedtime at 8 o'clock. That doesn't mean you've got to go to bed at 8 mm. to, to set that example. Mm. You have other responsibilities. Like you will use technology for different reasons that kids will. And I want to give you this example. When our daughter was a teenager and she started going to parties, my wife would take her phone to the bedroom, not to use Instagram to see what's happening in case there was an emergency Mm. so she could answer the phone. Mm. Um, It's best to learn by example, but always know as a parent, you have other responsibilities. I mean, there's programs that we would watch that we wouldn't allow our children to watch. Mm. So... Don't bash yourself up too much and think, oh, I'm not going to keep the technology out of the kid's bedroom because I don't want to keep it out myself. Mm. It may take a conversation. But what I hear you saying is to take the phone into the parent's bedroom should be circumstance-driven. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's driven by the fact that my child is at that party. It's driven by the fact that granny actually is ill in hospital and may need to call and the hospital might call. Yeah. These are circumstances, but it's not a bad idea, parents, to actually lead by example and model it if you're going to ask your kids to do. By the way, let's talk. We we don't have to talk about it, but the benefits are you get more sleep. (laughs) Well, exactly. There's no distractions, and you're not you're not encouraged to pick it up first thing in the morning. You might talk to your loved one before you go. You're not off. Yeah. Look, there's been a lot of research, Bernie, (laughs) and I've heard some very clever people with medical backgrounds speak in relation to the benefits of keeping technology out of the bedroom. It's all psychological. That's we still haven't got to two, three, four, and five. We've actually we've actually moved into number two. Oh, are we? Which is (laughs) make sure you put rules and boundaries in place. Okay. Um, We have them in. Every aspect of our life. Yeah. I think a lot of parents may be resistant in putting rules and boundaries in place because it is difficult sometimes. They're not always going to be possible with our kids. But the main reason that we may be reluctant to do that is because we never had parents managing us when we were growing up with technology. We know the benefits of putting rules and boundaries in place in our children's life, in the physical world. We know the benefits. We know we have to do that because no one else will. Mm. What parents need to know is that when you put rules and boundaries in place with your kids and technology, they're not technology rules, they're real rules, and they are giving your children and they are giving you as much benefit, and they're repaying you as much as the rules and boundaries in the physical world. Love it. They have to exist. Love it. And it's not so being anti-technology, mm. it's helping our children manage that world. Mm. I, it, in the context of this podcast, to me, it's actually a display of love for our children. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, Brett. 
Number three, you have a right as a parent to manage technology. Doesn't matter who owns the device. Doesn't matter, uh, you know, who's got the password. And it doesn't matter who knows the most about technology. You have a right to ask your children any question you want. If you feel your child's health and well-being is at risk, you have a right to grab a device and to check it. Again, that's not being a bad parent. It's being a very good parent. I'm actually hearing you almost speak like a detective now. <laughs> are, you, are you speaking from a, 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 a place of law? Do um, you have that right? Oh, no, no, no. no. I'm speaking, I, I think the health and well-being of our children yeah. will always uphold what people's perceived rights are. Yeah. Now, I'll give you this example. See, we find this very easy to process because we're used to this and we can understand it. I know some parents are very standoffish. Oh, I can't check it because they saved up and bought that phone. I said, do you know what? Um, I saved up and bought my car. Doesn't mean that the police can't pull me over and ask me questions. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that they, um, it doesn't mean I don't have to wear a seatbelt. My kids can save up and buy a television. Doesn't mean that they can watch an X-rated movie. Doesn't Mm -hmm. mean they can watch television until two o'clock in the morning on a school night. Mm -hmm. I still have a right as a parent. Mm -hmm to manage the health and well-being of my family mm. and everything that goes around that. Mm. So we got to weigh this up. Oh, my, my kids aren't going to like that I've checked it. They're going to say that I don't trust them. Now, I'm not saying that we do this every day. Mm. I'm saying that if we feel something's not quite right. By law, at what age does the child turn around and say you don't have that right? Um, look, th- that's a very interesting question. Um I mean, if they're living in our home and we can show that we're operating in good faith, I say to parents, you will never have a problem. Um, with the law? With the law. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I – now, I, 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 I'm not the law um, and every case is different. Mm. Uh but I can say it, it would be incredibly – nothing can stop someone going and making a complaint. Mm. Nothing can stop someone talking to a lawyer. Mm. Um, and then it's up to the court to decide. And that's a very, you know, that's a very in-depth process. Mm. Um, you know, in Australia, look, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know of any cases mm. where parents have had really big problems with that. Maybe, maybe there's one. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of people out there. There's yeah. a lot of parents. There's a lot of interaction. Yeah. Operate on good faith as a parent. Huh. Don't let perceived, uh, you know, what may happen in relation to, within reason, of course, um, you know, oh, something really bad is going to happen if I exercise my right as a parent to mm. want to know that everything's okay. Mm. We've got to look at what some of the potential risks are. Mm. I mean, if my child is, if I believe they're being cyberbullied and it's having an incredibly negative effect on their mental health, mm. am I going to sit there and let it happen? Mm. Am I not going to grab that device mm. because I, I may not have the right to do that? Mm. I mean, we've got to weigh this up. I mean, young people can take their own lives as a result of sure. cyberbullying. I mean, yeah. we've, we've yeah. really got to look at this pragmatically, mm. Mm. you know, and um, mm. I, I think most parents do do that, mm. and mm. I, I think that's very good. But, mm. you know, when I was saying that, I'm talking from the perspective as a parent mm. as well. I mean, I've got mm. three beautiful children. Mm. Mm. They actually got four kids, but only three of them are beautiful. But, um, <laughs> you know, some of, the, some of the choices weren't that popular with them, but that's mm. part of being a parent, you mm. know, but we got through. Mm. My kids are okay. And do you know what I've got to look back now and say, if I didn't put these things in place, mm. what could have happened? Sure. Because sure, sure. when the parents put these five principles in place, yeah. they're not going to see the benefits. Yeah. The benefits are the issues, yeah. the multiple 
range of potential issues that could happen yeah. if we don't put Which these things in place. Which completely disrupt the child, their involvement, and completely disrupt the family. Their education, their, education. their health. Oh, yep. so, so many things. So this is, in, in, again, in the context of this podcast, to me, these are acts of love. Absolutely. Number four, Brett. Number four is, um, we may have heard of this, filtering and monitoring software, parental controls. Mm. This is what the school uses. Mm. Every single school in Australia uses filtering and monitoring software, little programs that can work, uh, you know, on devices or mm. on a network, and it helps our children, it helps us help our children manage that online world. They're up against some very powerful companies. Mm. That screen has a very powerful effect on the human brain, mm. particularly a developing brain. Mm. And our, we need to help our kids manage that world. When you speak to parents, do you talk about this software, this filtering? Yeah, look, I, I don't usually mention any companies, yeah. but um, I mean, Apple's got Apple Family Sharing. Huh. That's a brilliant base piece of software that's built into the devices. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's more robust when our kids are in primary school. Yeah. Then we pull back a bit yeah. when they become teenagers or use it differently. Yeah. Yeah. But um, they're, they're pretty, they're, you know, the Apple family sharing. Yeah. So you can sort of manage and monitor time and content when it comes to their device. Mm. You can sort of get an idea of what's happening. Mm. Um, then you've got your actual, um, well, with uh, Microsoft and uh, Android, mm. they've got uh, family safety settings. Wow. So we can put them in place. Yeah, if yeah, we yeah. want something yeah. more robust with yeah. a few more, a bit more functionality, there's companies that provide programs mm. that can limit time, filter out bad websites. Mm. Um, some of them even let us know where our children are, you know, through GPS mm. <laughs> on a map. Mm. Mm. Um, now, we may have reasons for that. And that's what I'm saying. Mm. Every family has a right to use this, mm. but we use it as best suits our family. Sure, sure, and sure. it just gives us peace of mind. Yeah. The kids know we're close. Yeah. So it gives them better self-esteem and more courage. That is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They know that we've got an idea of what's going on. You're actually saying despite the child's protest at times, really deep down inside, many of our children are actually drawing strength and, and drawing comfort from the fact that mum and dad knows where I am. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, when I was in the police, I knew, well, I learned the uh, bosses or the managers in the IT office could see everything we were doing at work. Yeah. And that reduced the, the issues that happened online at did work. Did you know that while you were working or did you discover that later? I learned it as I went. I didn't get a computer <laughs> in the police till 1989 and it was at Smithfield Police Station north of Cairns and we had oh. one Apple computer for the whole station. So we, we learned by trial and error. Yeah. We got a lot of warnings yeah. for a start. Yeah. You know, we got warned yeah. that it's not okay to send yeah. uh, a, a funny yeah. email or a, a nasty email to the commissioner in someone else's email account. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. we learned that yeah. very quick terms. That's yeah. how we learned. But yeah. now there's policies, of course, yeah. that are quite comprehensive, sure. not, not only in schools, yeah. but in the workplace. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, we have a right. Yeah. Our kids need to know that we're close. It yeah. increases self-esteem that, you know, if something happens, you know, my parents are close. They Love sort it. of know what's going on. Yeah. One other thing with that filtering and monitoring software, that if we've got, you know, bedtime, okay, seven o'clock, every internet and other device goes off so your brain can relax for an hour and fall into a deep sleep at eight. Wonderful. We can have software in place mm. that cuts the internet off at seven. Yeah. What that does, it alleviates conversations or arguments 
I want a little bit longer. I need to do this. Why do I get off my phone? The technology cuts them off yeah. at seven o'clock. Yeah. And what that's doing, it's helping them manage technology because there's times you can and can't use it. Yeah. Like in the workplace, at school, yeah. it's just helping them manage that. Yeah. Yeah. I just love the way that your strategies and your actions, and I'm not only hearing them, I'm actually watching them in your face and your your body language here at the moment. But the the these actions and strategies are actually adding value. I can actually see children drawing value out of these suggestions rather than fighting mum and dad for more freedom. I can yeah. also hear the other way as well, <laughs> yeah. but I can I, I can also see the the strength that it can add to the esteem of the child, whereby I could see some children buying into this and understanding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, I'm I'm aware of people that could be listening to this. If they're like me, they could be so enthralled. I just think they would want to know, how do I get in contact with Brett Lee? What's the name of your business, please, Brett? Uh, InternetSafeEducation.com. Based where? We're based in Brisbane, but Mm -hmm. we do work all across Australia and New Zealand. Please feel free to say no because it's a public forum here. Do you want to share your phone number? Because guess what? I'm I'm really, really happy for as many people to be able to contact contact your business as is possible. Yeah. Look, I'll uh, I'll give you our landline, mm-hmm. which is 07-313-91181. Mm-hmm. Can you repeat that, please? 07-313-91181. I'm also aware you have a book. You've written a book yeah. about all of this. Mm-hmm. Share with us about the book, please. The book is uh, uh, a result of a uh, – the book uh, contains – well, I'll just say the book contains uh, – a number of my undercover investigations wow. online when I was a detective. Yeah. And, you know, the, the cases that I go through, there's a purpose for that. There's a lot of great takeaways for families, for schools. It's written for adults. Uh, we talk about all the issues that the internet creates uh, and we talk about the strategies. Uh, we talk about the psychology behind some of the criminals, the five five steps that all child sex offenders go through, the the tactics, the tricks, the methodologies, the different types of offenders. Um, so it, it really goes quite in depth when it comes to online child sex offenders. But it, it opens that world up so a parent can see, look, there's things that I can do to reduce risk to basically zero that mm-hmm. my child's become, going to become a victim online. Because the grooming process is over a period of time. Sure. It's not just one message. Yeah. And these five strategies that we put in, they chip away at the risk that that predator can go through one of I those you, five yeah, steps, yeah. yeah. I'm aware we haven't gone to number five yet. Oh, but good. I, I just wanted to serve all these people here that, <laughs> that, that want to get in contact with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. what is number five, Brett? Number five, and I'd love it to make it complicated, to make me sound very, very clever, creating a culture of communication with your kids and technology. Now, yeah. before you say as a parent, oh, yeah, that's easy, the reason these strategies on the face of them are easy because it never needs to be made complicated mm. and they don't change because they don't need to change. Mm. Communication is the key. Mm. That's where schools and parents generally find out that children are having an issue online. It's mm. by having face-to-face conversations. Mm. Every time you have a conversation with your child in relation to technology, mm. it at least does these three things. One, it gives them a feeling of support. Mm. The internet exists in their mind and that's where potential issues are wow. within them as a person. Mm. When they talk to you, you're, they're sharing the load. Mm. 
And that's where it can start to make our kids feel better, like sure. there's hope. Yeah. The second thing, it can help you identify if there's an issue so you can step in and have a uh, and do something to fix it. And the yeah. third thing is it gives you an opportunity to put what's happening online into context. Mm. So mm. communication is the key. Now, the e-safety commission, they're the go-to body in mm. Australia when mm. it comes to cyber safety. Um, countries send representatives from all around the world mm. to Australia to try and model what e-safety is doing. They are world leaders in what they do. Mm. They do case studies. They do research. Brilliant resources. Their number one message, start the conversation. Wow. Never underestimate the value yeah. of talking to your kids as it relates to technology. You know what I love about all this, Brett? Because in a way, you're almost saying to, come on, parents, come on, adults out there, you be a little bit more courageous in yourself. Absolutely. To be able to have these yeah. conversations, to, to, to instigate some of these actions. You know what? That's good for the growing, evolving adult. That's great for... the. The parents, and we've got to have empathy for the parents. Where did they learn all this? They didn't go to a school where all this existed. They're learning it by listening to a podcast like this, some of them for the first time. But in the back of their mind, they have awareness that they needed and, and still need to do something. Now is the time for courage. Courage is good. Courage allows you to live more freely. This is a good calling to parents, Brett. Oh, look, I, you know what? I, I said I do a lot of parent presentations and I think what's really lacking when it comes to the parent community, and like I said, I never bash up parents and what you said was exactly right. How do we know? I would hope that this podcast would give them the feeling of authority to know I have a right to put this in place. And when I do, I'm benefiting not only my children, but my family and my community. Because when my child has a reason and they're in an environment where they don't cyberbully a child, that's another family yeah. that doesn't have to deal with that. Yeah. Now, I will say this to parents. We can't control the choices that other people make. Mm. Don't let them normalise the bad choices online just because our kids see a few people making a wrong choice. Oh. Mm. I want yeah. you to comment more on this normalisation. You, you've used this term a few times about mm. the normalisation of the internet. Can you yeah. explain that as a concept, please? Okay. Um, we teach our kids very effectively in the physical world. I'll take language. What is and isn't acceptable. Yeah. And it becomes normalised. And people say, well, what's normal? I say, when it comes to, it's common proprietary within our community. And we do that very, very well. You know, I don't believe my kids have ever gone into a shop and said, oh, give me a, and then used obscene language. They say, oh, can I have such and such, please? And I've only seen that when I go into school. You know, kids are very respectful. Um, and that's be they weren't born with that knowledge. We presented that to them. When we log on to the internet, quite often our attention is going to be drawn to the bad stuff. Yeah. And they may be playing a game and there might be 30 people in that game. I can guarantee if two people are using obscene language, they're abusing other people. Mm. Our kids' attention is going to be drawn to that. Mm. They're not going to notice the 28 people who are playing the game the right way and treating people with respect. Mm. And that might start to change those values that we've, in, uh, that we've instilled in our kids about mm. what is and isn't acceptable, whereby they now believe that this is okay because other people are doing it online. And do you know, well, I've heard this thousands of times from young people. Everybody's doing that. 
Yeah. I worked out when my kids came home and said everybody, that meant about five people. Yeah. Strategically selected by them <laughs> to, you know, to to confirm what they wanted to get. Yeah. So yeah. we got to watch out with that for the internet. Yeah. If our kids are being exposed to bad content or yeah. content that we don't want our children being exposed to at that particular stage in their lives, yeah. we've got to balance that with the good stuff. Mm. So, yeah, the internet can normalise things because our kids are being exposed to it that they normally wouldn't be exposed to. Yeah. And that's contrary to what we're looking to achieve in the physical world. Yeah. But then what happens is when it's normalised, they start to manifest that in the physical world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Hence the need for one to five. (laughs) (laughs) Hence the need for- Absolutely. You you, you mentioned before about giving parents the authority. I'd like to offer- um, a different word. It's giving the parents the, the 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 power and the understanding of what love looks like. Yeah. It, it, how to how to in how to offer your child an environment in which they can thrive. Yeah. If that's authority, then let's give it to as many people as we possibly can. Absolutely. But recognise that the benefit of that authority is the beautiful creation or the beautiful opportunity for your child to grow and evolve without some of these totally unnecessary distractions yeah. in, in, in life. And they are distractions. They are. Yeah. They're immense distractions. Brett. So much of our talk has been about the dark side, the sinister side, Mm. those evil forces, the bad forces of the internet. If you had your way and I gave you the magic wand and I gave you the authority over the internet, what changes would you make to the innate structure of the current internet that you think could add immense value to the world? That's a great question. Now, you've had mentioned a magic wand, so I'm going to say something that uh, is probably connected. It's not about technology. It's connected to the fantasy world, is that if every single user, child, teenager, adult, not only knew but believed that when I make a choice online, I'm in the most public place I'll ever be. Am I prepared for my parents to see this? Someone else's parents, every student at my school, another school to see this. Am I prepared for the police to see this? Am I prepared for someone I respect to see this? Grandparents. If the answer's no, I just don't do it. And can I tell you how that can work, Bernie? If a child sex offender believed that if I groom a child online, the police are going to see, that would give them a reason not to do it in the first place. Mm. Um, That's, I think... And do you know, that's really not about the internet or technology. That's about people. Um, And I say to parents, I say, the internet's not good and the internet's not bad. The internet just is. It just sits here and does nothing. Everything good or bad is going to come down to the choices that your children do or don't make online. And the same for you as an adult. So that's the one thing I'd change. A person's perception in relation to the internet being the most public place I'm ever in still won't make it perfect, Mm. but it will go a long way to reduce... I suppose, the choices that someone normally wouldn't make mm. 
had they been confronted with the same circumstances in the mm. physical world. But if you were talking to the those that that, that manage and manufacture platforms like TikTok and 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 Facebook and mm. Instagram and Twitter, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I get the feeling that you would want them to take a role that says right up front this material is not private exactly but what we're getting is the illusion that it's exactly the opposite mm. they're not saying that i mean if you read snapchat's terms and conditions they don't mention the word delete they just make people believe it's gone because if they think they can get something deleted they'll share stuff they normally wouldn't share governments have stepped in and put terrible photographs of your lungs on cigarette boxes and made every every person aware that buys a packet of cigarettes of what it can do to your health. Yeah. So why don't governments step in and say, you must announce that the material on the net is not private? Yeah, well, exactly. And you know what? I think uh, up until now, a lot of these companies have had a free run. They're mm -hmm. probably a business model like un unlike anything we ever saw, and they did slip under the radar. Some of them didn't even pay wow. tax in our country. But the e-safety, which works in conjunction with the government, is being given powers, and it's evolving very slowly, and these companies are starting to become more accountable. Mm. Um, at this stage, though, it's um, uh, those who uh, agree to take part um, so, you know, yeah. and I think it will continue to evolve. Yeah, I think, I'm sure it um, will, Look, they've it become must. very powerful and they're, they're great lobbyists yeah. and uh, uh, money equals power and, yeah. yeah, and our personal information yeah. equals power for them as well and it's a bit of a juggernaut that, uh, you know, our government, I think, is doing a great job, mm. um, you know, in um, starting to, to take a bit of control mm. over these companies and mm. I, I believe from my information that we're world leaders in this field. You mean in Australia or, in Australia. or your company, your business? No, no, in Australia. Yeah. In oh. Australia. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful news. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it is. I think yeah. it is. And uh, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. And look, it, it's such a, it's a hard task. Yeah. The internet by its nature is very uncontrolled. The, yeah. You know, no identity verification in most of these programs. Mm. It's all instantaneous. Um, very little monitoring or moderation when you look at the amount of content that's out there. It's usually user regulated. So... Mm. They probably won't even look at it or sure. address it unless someone makes a complaint. Mm. So, look, mm. I, but I think uh, we're starting to, you know, find the best fit and it, it's going to take a while to, to, to have all levels of government and these companies themselves being managed in such a way where it's going to make it the safest possible But I feel that you're confident we're heading down that pathway. Do you know, I go into a school, but um, Bernie, and, you know, they can say we've had a big issue. And I say, oh, really? What's happened? Um, oh, they'll tell me about the issue. Police may have been involved. And I say, how many students involved? And they'll say, five. I say, how many students at the school? A thousand. What I don't hear about is the 995 kids who are basically having a pretty good time online. Yeah. There's all these underlying issues, and that's part of being a young person. You make mistakes, you learn, you move on. Yeah. But the big issues, if it is a big problem, always come to the surface. Yeah, and they sure. might deal with one or two big issues a year. Yeah. I believe most young people are having a pretty good time online. Yeah. I believe most young people are making pretty good choices online. Yeah. Um, and I don't believe the majority of them go online to do the wrong thing. Yeah. They go online, they only do three things. Yeah. Share information with other people. 
But it's e- yeah. social media, watch watch videos and yeah. play games. Yeah, but it's easy through that video game, isn't it, Brett, Ooh, to notice yes. the five people. That, no, we just say the <laughs> two is. people that That's are swearing right. profusely yeah. and using what you yep. talk about, the normalisation process yeah. and how it slowly filters into the hearts and the minds of our kids. Yeah. It's so easy. Yeah. Yeah. Brett Lee, this has been a – uh, such a different conversation than the, the normal journey with Bernie <laughs> <laughs> podcast. But I'm, I'm hearing a few things just to sort of like quickly summarise it. And you, maybe you can help me with it, please. Did you, by the way, did you mention the name of your book? Screen Resolution. Screen, Screen Resolution. Yeah. Where can we buy that, please? It, you can buy it online. It's available at uh, your normal bookstores online, including okay. Amazon. I think there could even be a link on our website. Wonderful. And you know, Bernie, in saying that, there's just one other thing. I'd really like to encourage your listeners to come to our website and um, sign up there. Just your best email address. That's all we want. Uh, the reason for that is this, uh, in conjunction with the government, they've... Um, given us some resources and we've developed uh, what we believe is going to be Australia's first comprehensive online cyber safety hub for parents. Wonderful, Brett. So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a parent can log in and get webinars, recorded webinars, resources, courses, and it's to support, you know, educate and guide parents so you don't feel so alone. So I'd encourage you to go to our website. That's going to be released sometimes this, sometime this week. That's but wonderful. But if you sign up, you'll get a um, – You'll get, you'll get a link to the mm. hub and just see if it's you think it can help your family. While you're there, could you tell the same people to sign up and follow this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe everyone in Australia isn't. <laughs> Why is that? I've known you for 14, 15 years, Bernie, yeah. and uh, I know your messages are just uh, inspiring. And every time I speak to you, I go home and say to my wife, I've got to catch up with Bernie more often because <laughs> every time I do, I just have a much better outlook on life. And it just, Aren't you good, just helps me get through. Yeah. yeah it's fantastic. Yeah. What well, you're doing. Yeah. Here are some of the messages I've heard this morning. Environment is everything. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so therefore surround yourself with environment that is enlivening. Yes. That, that inspires living um, and joy and happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell us again, just in one single sentence, central message about the whole um, internet safety, in your words, that must come from you, please. Okay. I would say if there's one thing a parent can do. Yeah. It's create that culture of communication yeah. with your kids and technology. Yeah. Never underestimate that. My last question to you is, how can we create more, to, more love in the world? <laughs> how can we do it? Look, I, I think it all comes down to, to an individual taking that responsibility upon yeah. themselves. Um, that's a, that's a, an amazing question that I've never really considered before, but mm. – uh, I think you'd be better um, positioned to answer that question than me. <laughs> well, my answer is is having podcasts like this. Yeah. Um, understanding that today's message is that love is also taking protection of the people that we love. Yeah. And there are strategies and actions that allow us to do that. Yeah. You are doing a most magnificent job, you and your organisation, and I'm going to speak on behalf of a lot of people when I say thank you, thank you, thank you for, for what you're doing. You're, you're protecting our children. You're educating, edu- 
ed- you're educating education. Mm-hmm. There are many of the staff and the teachers of schools out there, they are learning from you. Mm-hmm. And as for parents, we parents need to hear your message just so that we can have that authority <laughs> to love our kids even more. Yeah. Brett Lee, I hope this is not the last time because I get the feeling I think there's a lot more content and material that mm. we could investigate and explore. And I certainly hope this is not the last time we come together. I'd like Give me a conference, please, mate. I want to be doing some more work with you together yeah. out there. Yeah, I'm sure it won't be the last time. Right, because it's a lot of great synergy with the love, happiness and meaning and, uh, you know, what we provide. So it's uh, one plus one is going to equal seven here, Brett. It, awesome. won't, it won't equal two, mate. <laughs> hey, cheers, Brett Lee. And dear listeners, thank you ever so much for, for tuning in. Um, I hope you really, really enjoyed and got as much out of this episode of A Journey with Bernie because I'm letting you know I thought this was an absolute hoot. Brett Lee, thank you for the education. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank Cheers, you. pal. Bye-bye. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode of A Journey with Bernie. I loved it. Of course, the contact and connection details of our special guest and any references to resource material, books or educational sources can be found in the podcast notes. Do go there, folks. Our guests would so welcome hearing from you. Now, for those of you who have previously rung me about joining our forthcoming adventures to Nepal and those glorious Himalayan trekking trails, it's truly great to have you on board. For those of you that are still interested, may I suggest you visit the website of Global Immersion Travel? That's www.gitravel.com.au. Then ring my equally enthusiastic associate, Taylor Pierce on 0419-195-953. That's 0419-195-953. Embrace the journey, dear people. Just embrace the journey and enjoy every minute of it. And just remember... <laughs>